the 19th chapter of the first of two books of Kings. And it concerns a very important prophet named Elijah. The picture you saw earlier by Rembrandt of the angel visiting Elijah, this one, that occurs in this story I will share. Now this picture of Elijah being fed by the ravens, that does not occur in this particular story, but it is included in another story in this first book of Kings. And I loved this engraving by Barry Moser so much that I just had to include it. Um, and it gave me a picture of this Elijah character. In this story I am about to share, Elijah is running for his life as Queen Jezebel is seeking vengeance for the murder of the prophets of Baal carried out by Elijah. Needless to say, we could spend some time unpacking all of that, but let's leave it for now, as I want to focus on this part of the story, which contains a phrase that you may recognize. But Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruse of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he did arise and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? 
And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, go, return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus. The second reading is from Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk for about half of his 53-year life when he died in 1968. He was also an author, theologian, and poet. This reading is from A Year with Thomas Merton, Daily Meditations from his journals, selected and edited by Jonathan Montaldo in a selection dated December 29, 1964, Merton writes, Solitude is not something to play with from time to time. And yet, of course, I still need a good part of the common life and will always need to maintain very definite contacts. But it is hard and confusing to be uprooted from peace every time you begin barely to get into it. Or rather, not to be able to sink completely into unity and simplicity. There is peace too in community, of course, but it has a different and more active rhythm. Yet in this solitude, there must be with the fiery substance of the eternal prophets also terse anger and irony and humor. At last, there is light again. First, there were some stars here and there when I first got up at 2.15. Then a surprise in an unexpected corner of woods, the last thin slice of leftover moon. The sun came up at 8.05. Then there was the extraordinary purity and stillness and calm of that moment of surprise and renewal peace of the woods and the valley. But then somewhere, a heifer salutes the morning with enthusiastic lowing. I've always been interested in tracing the origin of popular or at least familiar phrases in our culture, most especially when they can be traced back to the Bible, to the Hebrew or Christian scriptures, as I am something of a Bible study nerd. Am I my brother's keeper? Oh, ye of little faith. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My cup runneth over. 
God helps those who help themselves. Oops. Nope. That one is nowhere to be found in the Bible. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I am not tracing these things back to find out what they really mean or to prove anyone wrong. That is not how I read the Bible. And many times I feel the Bible itself is wrong. But I do it only to find out where these phrases came from and the context of the original stories and to see if there are helpful insights we can find that may have been lost along the way. And yes, I confess, it is sometimes interesting to hear these phrases being used by some people who do view the Bible as the inerrant word of God, yet who seemingly feel free to indulge some puzzling interpretations. When I heard the theme for this month's stillness, the phrase, a still small voice, came to mind. A still, small voice. As with many of these phrases, the actual context is not as simple nor as easily summarized as some of the interpretations that followed. The story begins in violence and conflict. Elijah, having killed rival prophets too, from his viewpoint, preserved the worship of the one true God, is on the run from the current administration in Israel that wishes now to kill him in retaliation. He is exhausted, afraid, despairing, convinced he has reached the end and indeed prays for it to be so. Just let me die. But upon going to sleep, he is suddenly nudged by an angel who says simply, get up, get up and eat. After enjoying the meal that appears for him, Elijah goes back to sleep and is awakened again by the angel. Get up and eat again, but this time with a purpose, because the journey is too great for thee. A journey? This is a tired man who just wants to die and give up the fight, but the angel is not going to allow that, apparently. So Elijah travels to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai and the word of the Lord came to him and asks basically, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah repeats what he has said before. Basically, Lord, I have worked on your behalf, done all I can, but your people have broken the covenant, destroyed the altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left and they're after me now. And the word of the Lord, which seems to be distinct from the Lord, does not respond directly to Elijah's words, but says, go stand outside this cave you've crawled into and wait for me. So the word of the Lord tells Elijah to get ready for the presence of the Lord. An interesting distinction. My way of understanding this in contemporary terms was to think of the word of the Lord as a text message saying, I'll be stopping by soon. Watch for me. Probably not orthodox interpretation, but so Elijah comes out of the cave 
And this is the scene that you sometimes hear recounted when people talk about the still small voice. A strong wind blows. And this is not just a stiff breeze as it is said to be strong enough to break rocks and actually split mountains. A hurricane force wind blows, but the Lord was not in the wind. Then we move to the California section, an earthquake occurs. But it is said that the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, another frightening event all too familiar to Californians, a fire begins. But again, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. That's how the King James Version reads. And that is the phrase that has lived over time to still be used all on its own today. A still, small voice. It is interesting to me that while there is much attention given to the still, small voice, there is almost no attention given to what was said. Indeed, the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, which is generally considered a more accurate translation than King James, calls it a sound of sheer silence. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. And it appears that following that sound of sheer silence, the Lord speaks and says, Drum roll, please. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? (laughs) What? Isn't that the same question as the text message? I mean, the same as the word of the Lord that came to Elijah earlier. So after the hurricane force winds and the earthquake and the fire, after all of that, the message is the same. Elijah, what are you doing here? And yep, Elijah gives the same answer. Lord, I've worked on your behalf, done all I can. Your people have broken the covenant, destroyed the altars, killed your prophets. I'm the only one left. They're after me now. I'm done. I give up. I just want to die and be done with this. But if we didn't know it before, we do now. The question that is posed to Elijah is not really a question Because what seems to be implied is that Elijah being there is not where he is supposed to be. Elijah, what are you doing here? And again, there is not a direct response to Elijah's words, but rather the Lord said unto him, go, return on on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And what follows is a series of instructions that seem to be picking up where Elijah left off with this interlude of self-doubt and despair. It's basically get back to work. It is as if a dejected player in the midst of play, finding the prospects for victory hopeless as evidenced by the scoreboard, approaches the bench in defeat, and the coach says, wait, wait a minute, what are you doing? Get back out there. The game is not over. The Lord says effectively, Elijah, 
You are called to be a prophet. There is work to do. Get back in the game. In other words, what arose from that still small voice, that sound of sheer silence, was a clear call to action, to return to the work. And it made me think of the Soul Matters material and the passages included in this week's weekly news about the intersection of stillness and social justice work. To listen deeply to our troubled times is to hear a call to challenge the view that stillness is the resting place at the bottom of the hill we've climbed and instead imagine it as the base camp that launches us into the long trek up the mountain. Or in Elijah's case, the trek down the mountain. He could not stay there. His immediate needs had been met. Though the angel was a bit of an annoyance, in waking him up, there was food provided. He was invited into an experience of the holy. But all of this was not an end in itself, but rather a refueling so that he could follow his call. Again, the Soul Matters material says, a stillness that invites us simply to escape the world is dangerous. A stillness that merely anesthetizes our nerves comforts us but it widens the wounds of the world. Stillness allows us to perceive that which is truly precious. And in doing so, it calls us back to our humanity. There is little doubt that Elijah was looking to escape a world that had grown extremely and personally dangerous. He was ready to escape life itself. And yet what he ended up doing was reclaiming his call. Trappist monk Thomas Merton, possibly thinking of Elijah among others, writes that solitude, which I would suggest has deep ties to stillness, solitude should contain the fiery substance of the eternal prophet. Along with terse anger and irony, and humor, humor, which he saw exemplified in Latin American poets with whom he identified. And I have to say, I found some measure of irony and human humor in the Lord's repeated question to Elijah, both before and after the sound of sheer silence. That question being, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? I think that question surfaces in my own experiences of stillness. What are you doing here, Rod? Not in terms of my to-do list or my shopping list or my bucket list or any list at all, but rather in terms of my very existence. What am I doing here? How do I respond to this world of beauty and brutality? of wonder and of worry, of purity and of pain. What am I doing here? 
And when my response arises out of that sound of sheer silence, rather than frantic and frenetic activity focused on outcomes and appearances, when it arises out of that simple question that has no single answer but helps to guide me, it connects me to the world in a way I cherish and can so easily lose and for which I yearn, though too often forget. Solitude is not something to play with from time to time, Merton writes. And yet, of course, I still need a good part of the common life and will always need to maintain very definite contacts. But it is hard and confusing to be uprooted from peace every time you begin barely to get into it, or rather not to be able to sink completely into unity and simplicity. There is peace, too, in community, of course, but it has a different and more active rhythm. And in his honest struggling, going back and forth, trying to get a handle on solitude and stillness and where it can be experienced and what it contains in this honest struggling, though I am far, far from being a Trappist monk, but in that struggling, I hear some truth of my own life expressed. There is maybe no perfect way to conjure that still small voice, that sound of sheer silence, but it is sometimes enough to know it is there, pulsing under all the other activities of life, waiting to welcome me, to ask a simple question, and to send me back into the game, into the work, into the suffering and delight of existence. Voice still and small, deep inside all, we hear you call, singing. 